Welcome in, everybody, to the Bungum Street United Methodist Church podcast. My name is Chris Ashley. I'm the Director of Congregational Engagement here at the church and the host of this podcast each and every week. This week, we are finishing out our Fruit of the Spirit series, and we have a very special guest joining us today. We're excited to welcome in to the podcast this week, Miss Beverly Clapp. Bev, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. It's it's a pleasure to be invited. So Bev is our receptionist at the downtown campus, but she is also a little bit of, um, I'm just going to say, spiritual advisor to everyone that walks through the front door. So you you get to you get to see a little bit of everything. You get to interact with folks um, coming in and out of the church throughout the day get to interact with the staff. So, you know, your your role is so much bigger, I think, than than sometimes we we might even think about. So I would love to hear a little bit from you. One thing we like to do is just share with everyone a little bit about you, about your role at the church, and then just a little bit of a brief history about kind of how you got to Buncombe Street. Okay. Um, interesting. Um, and you can probably tell by my um, lack of a um, southern accent. I am not from South Carolina. I was born and raised on a farm in central Illinois. Um, still have property there, which can I just say, you don't want to have property in two states because they tax the life out of you. <laughs> um, anyhow, at the ripe old age of 21, I went to Chicago uh, for a summer job. And that summer job took me through 48 and a half years living in Chicago or in the Chicagoland area. Um, my last job, I retired from J.P. Morgan as one of their business analysts for a product partner group, which is a fancy terminology to say I did whatever needed to be done to get the job done, kind of like I do here at Buncombe Street. Um, yes, I am the receptionist, and I, uh, I answer the doorbell. So when you come um, and ring the doorbell, Anytime between 8.30 and 1, it's usually me, unless I have escaped Greenville and gone back to see family in Illinois. Um, How did I end up at Buncombe Street? It's kind of a funny story, Um, and I'll try to make it short and sweet. Whenever I came to Greenville, um, I knew that I needed to find a church because I had been raised in the church Um, and I knew I needed to find a church that I could feel comfortable in. And the first church I went to, I really kind of enjoyed it. It was a contemporary church. And, you know, contemporary can be a lot of different things. And my older brother and sister-in-law came down that first year um, after I moved down here. And um, they were here for us. I took them to a service and Uh, My brother told me, looked at me, and he goes, Sis, if you're happy there, I'm happy for you, but it's definitely not the church for me. And I said, okay. I said, that's all right, because you and I don't think alike anyhow. And um, so the very next Sunday, I went back. Now, a baptism service to me or a person's baptism, no matter where it's at, if it's in a swimming pool, if it's in a professional baptism, if it's in a lake, if it's in a river, no matter where it's at, to me it's a very sacred event. And this is a church that uh, was converted out of a school. 
and they had a swimming pool, which was pretty neat. They had a swimming pool in the middle of the sanctuary. And that was all great until the worship leader started dancing across the platform, singing, there must be something in the water, kicking up her heels. Now, let me just tell you, um, I enjoy hearing Carrie Underwood sing that, but not at an actual baptism. So needless to say, that was the last Sunday I was there. The following week, I had to come downtown for something, and I passed Buncombe Street United Methodist Church, and I thought, that is one big church. I could attend there, get lost, and nobody would ever find me. Well, that worked for about two minutes when I walked through the door. Actually, it wasn't even that long. Um, Ginger Stratton and uh, Lindsay Bohr met me at the door, and the rest is history. I haven't been able to leave since. And um, I started volunteering right away and figured that before long, I really realized that I was called to work here. And uh, Selena retired, and Chris Malaska, who was then operations manager, said, would you like this as a full-time, part-time position? And I said, sure, because I had already done a lot of it. So that's kind of how I got here. Um, to tell you a little bit about me, I'm very mission-minded and uh, plan to go overseas at some point. Um, the first words out of Justin's mouth is, you are coming back, right? And I said, mm, eventually, but don't know when, don't know where I'm going. So anyhow, I, when I was in college, I felt very called to full-time missions. Because of a very unfortunate event, um, I kind of took a detour in my walk with Christ, and I think a lot of us are very guilty of that. And um, that's kind of that, thank God for the detour, because it has made me the person I am today. That's so good. I love, I love, uh, I, I think folks maybe who don't know you well, that just opening monologue there is going to give them so much of an insight into, I think, some of the reasons that those of us that do know you well, like, really love and enjoy you so much. So, we are in the midst of a Fruit of the Spirit series where we are going one by one. And as much as I had to pull teeth to get you to do this, <laughs> um, I've got you doing our final fruit, the fruit of self-control. So <laughs> the, the, first, uh, the first question that we ask each and every person that comes on during the series is to give me a definition of that particular fruit. So give me your definition of self-control. Okay. It has a lot of different meanings to me. Um, and can I just tell you, Chris, that I chose self-control because I knew it was kind of a complicated thing. But I wish you had heard Brian and Mignon whenever I told them what I was speaking on. Mignon spit her food clear across the counter and then had to wipe it all up. And all Brian could say is, I have to make sure I listen to that one. <laughs> and self-control, has it's a very complicated thing to me. Yes, it is self. It is the singular person. And it's how do you control your thoughts, your actions, your accountability? How do you control habits? 
um, good or bad, um, because habits can very easily become addictions. And even some addictions are very positive, but because they become an addiction more than just a habit, you're out of control. And the one thing that whenever I first started thinking about this, and and I think I related this to you early on, you know, we're all called to be missionaries, whether it's here in Greenville, whether it's in Greenville County, in the state of South Carolina, or wherever, but we're all called to carry God's word to the unloved, unlovable, to people that don't know God and don't know Christ as their Savior. And to me, another piece of self-control is being able to dial ourselves back, humble ourselves, quiet ourselves, and listen to that small voice, that very quiet voice that says, Beverly, Chris, Brian, Mignon, whoever he's talking to, but a self-control, you have to be able to quiet yourself before God, otherwise you will never hear his voice. And to me, some of the sweetest sounds I've ever heard have been walking in the woods and hearing God say, I created this for you. And to me, that is a very, very important piece of self-control. That's so good. That's so good. So how have you seen self-control manifest itself throughout your life? You've, you mentioned a few things here. Like, I, I love the idea of like, even you, it's so funny the way that I feel like sometimes God speaks to you because you saying the thing about walking through the woods and God saying, I created this for you. Like, man, that just hit me so hard. Like, it's so like, just thinking everything that I experienced, God is saying like, I did this for you, you as an individual, not like you, the collective you. That's such a good word. And I'm just like, I'm going to be thinking about that tonight. But what are some other ways that you have seen self-control manifest itself in your life? How has it affected me during the time period whenever that I mentioned earlier that I had kind of taken a detour from Christianity and was in a, um, a bad marriage, a marriage I should have never been in, um, having a strong-willed child. And can I just say strong-willed would be in bold, capital, probably about a 72-point font. Um, My son had some issues. We found out later that they were chemical and medical issues. His a lot of the chemicals in his body were completely out of kilter. So we had to deal with that. And, um, but walking away and, and dealing with, with all of that, the one thing that I am most grateful for and can never thank God enough for was the protection because my husband at that point became very abusive to the point where at one time I showed up in the middle of July. Now, if you can imagine in the middle of July wearing a long sleeve sweater, turtleneck sweater, downtown Chicago in a hundred and some degree weather, my boss looked at me and he goes, something is definitely wrong. 
And there were marks that I didn't want the whole world to see. But through all of that, being in the wrong place at times, at the right time, God was there and he protected me because it could have very easily changed the other direction without a doubt. But a lot of things have happened. Um, I remember um, having a car accident one time and the guy just came flying out of his car. Even though it was his fault, he hit me. And I just looked at him and I said, when you settle down, we'll talk. And my first instinct was to punch his lights out because he hit me and I had my new car. So God has worked self-control in a lot of different ways. And I've seen it manifested, especially over the last few years, in, in ways that um, have really humbled me. So we have been talking about how these Paul sets these fruit of the Spirit in contrast to the desires of the flesh um, as he's laying these out. And I've asked everyone about why is that fruit in particular hard to reach for first over the desires of flesh? And I think while everybody's been able to answer that question, I don't know if that question is ever more relevant than than with <laughs> self-control because self-control is literally going against the desires of the flesh in a lot of ways. So why do you feel like self-control is oftentimes harder to reach for? It fe- it feels too obvious, but I I think there's probably some some truth. You know, it is obvious, but in a ways it's not obvious at all because you know, I, I think of a lot of things. I've, I have been on the diet roller coaster for as long as I could remember. And dieting and proper habits do not come natural to people. People crave food. You crave doing fun things. I remember, and this is, this is probably, he'll probably, um, edit this out, but I'm going to say it anyhow. Um, I remember telling somebody one time uh, here at the church, actually, and that was kind of one of those lack of self-control issues. Um, he looked at me and he goes, no, I can't do it that weekend. Clemson is playing. And I went, um, I think the um, commandment is thou shall have no other gods before me. <laughs> <laughs> easy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, easy. And he just kind of looked at me and he goes, I can't believe you said that. And that was a lack of self-control because that was the first thing that came in my mind. But self-control is, out of all of them, it connects to every other one. To live in a peaceful world, you have to have self-control. To be comforting people, you have to have self-control because sometimes you're called to comfort somebody that you don't even like or you don't know or you don't feel you can trust. You know, there's self-control is probably the thread that runs through every one of the other fruits of the Spirit in many ways, if not obvious, but in many subtle ways. Yeah, and that's that's something that has come up week after week after week is that all of these things are so interconnected. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you're right. I think 
I think from both ends, you start with love and you end with self-control. And those two things feel like the most, the most threaded of the two through the rest of them. So yeah, that's such a great, such a great word. So what are some ways that we as believers can work on this thing? Because it's not, it's not so easy. It's not so obvious. What are some ways we can work to cultivate in in keeping with that agricultural metaphor or to cultivate this self-control in our lives? Well, I think the one thing that we need to remember is that it's kind of a commandment. These are the things that allow Christ to show through us. And it's, you know, coming from a farming background, you know, you plant seeds, you pray for rain, you pray for sunshine, you pray for warm weather, as much as a lot of people hate warm weather, seeds will not germinate unless there's warmth, rich soil, water, and a lot of prayer. And all of these fruits of the Spirit are like seeds that are planted, and we are to cultivate and use these seeds of the Spirit in our witness and in our showing Christ's love to other people. Now, yes, love is the beginning of it, and self-control is kind of at the tail end, but we have to, you know, my mother taught children, well, up until we moved mom and dad off the farm, and I want to say she was 83, 84 years old when we moved her off the farm, she had taught children's Sunday school, and she used to use the metaphor that she was only a seed planter. And I think one thing in self-control is that we have to realize that we can tell somebody about Jesus, and they may turn and walk away, laugh at us, and do all kinds of things that we don't want to do. But somebody else may come along with another word that is graceful. And, you know, it all ties together that we have to be patient. And we have to not be selfish and think, I have to lead this person to Christ. It might not be our job. It might be our job to plant the seed and let somebody else come along and water it and harvest it. Because Actually, we can't lead anybody to Christ without Christ leading them to listen. No, yeah, it's a work of the Spirit, and I, I, I remember growing up. Like, I don't know if this was a real statistic or if this was one of those like made-up church statistics that we <laughs> tend to either. do. Uh, but they used to say like something like it takes seven seven seeds to be planted before someone makes this a decision to to follow Christ. And, you know, again, I don't know if that's real or, or made up, but the point is sometimes we don't, we don't get the benefit of seeing the fruit of the work we're called to do because it's not our work to, to be enacted anyway. I love that. And I love what you said about self-control as a commandment, because as you said that, I'm sitting here thinking like, okay, well, let me think through the, the 10 commandments and which ones are self-control. I'm like, they all are. They all are. The sh- the, <laughs> if you're, if you're shalling or shall notting, that is by definition, 
self-control. You are controlling the decisions that you are making. So I love that. I love that. So the last question that we ask, and this is, you know, again, this is back. Can't take the youth pastor out of me. Um, <laughs> okay. So this is the question. Nor qu- do we want to. This is the question, um, just the fun question. If self-control was an actual fruit instead of a metaphorical fruit, which fruit would it be? And I'm really, I got my fingers crossed here. Nobody has duplicated any fruits yet. So the pressure is on. Give me your fruit. Self-control, most people think it's bitter. So I would say a grapefruit. No one has said grapefruit. So that's (laughs) great. We made it all the way through. Bitter, bitter, but also, also also sweet. sweet. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. That's great. And self-control is a little bit bittersweet because it takes human beings out of their comfort zone. I mean, it's it's more comfortable to when somebody hurts you to hurt them back. And it is bittersweet because you have to I read a thing here not too long ago that one of the mo- one of the hardest things to do was to forgive somebody that was totally unforgivable. And I will have to say the hardest thing I ever had to do was to forgive my ex-husband, even though I wanted to knock him on his behind. Yeah. Yeah, I think I feel that. I have I have felt that myself, like especially forgiving someone that, didn't deserve it. And even though if you know, like 100%, this person is in the wrong. Mm-hmm. Like they treated me unfairly. Yep. There was no reason to treat me the way they yep. did. Like even if you feel like it's completely justified, like being able to offer that forgiveness, it, it's hard. And it is like, for me, it is something that I just do not want to do. You know what I've learned though? And being the age I am, um, old enough to be your grandmother, can I just say? <laughs> Let's not go that far. <laughs> yeah. Gray hair. Okay. Gray hair. Um, I think forgiveness is more for you mm. than it is for them. Ninety. Per- I mean, my ex-husband, he didn't care if I forgave him or not. I had to forgive him for my own heart to heal. So forgiveness is for you. Even though that makes it selfish, but I guarantee you that pain will never go away until in your heart you truly, honestly say, I forgive you. Now, whether you say that to the person or, and sometimes you don't have the opportunity, but truly for your own self-preservation, and for your own commitment to walking with Christ, you have to forgive them. Well, Bev, thank you for being a part of this project, for being a part of this episode, and for sharing your thoughts with us on self-control. To all of you, thank you for listening and tuning in again this week. And until next time, grace and peace to you all.